Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. This summer, we will be having services on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15 a.m. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. So it is really good to be back. Robert is right. We were both gone for two weeks, two totally different places. And, you know, sometimes God works in just, you know, special and unique ways. Pretty sure there was a day where Robert was on the beach in Santa Barbara. And I was on the beach in Durban, South Africa on the Indian Ocean. And Trevor was building a VBS set all on the same day. So sometimes God just gives little special miracles just just for me. So it's, it's really good to be back with you, though. Anytime you travel, you know, out of the country, you come home with so much gratitude. And I'm especially thankful for you guys. We have an awesome church. And being over there in Africa, it was really fun to just brag about you guys and the work that God has been doing through you and through our church. So I wanted to tell you all about it. Now, if you weren't here in the winter, I went to Africa for two weeks. First, I ran an ultra marathon, and then I went to visit the town of Muchenda, Malawi, where we as a church have invested so far, and we've sponsored 100 and now seven children in the area of Muchenda, Malawi. So first of all, uh, about the race. So when I was training for the race, they told me that there would be hills. They lied. There were not hills, there were mountains. <laughs> I was very upset about this. We drove up to the starting line the day before, and keyword being up, and they kept saying, you know, but it's a net elevation loss, which is true, but you still have to run through the mountains, okay? Like the kind of mountains where the trucks would be in the right lane in first gear kind of mountains. I'm like, wow, we're going to run this, which we didn't run this. We walked it, and I thought we were going to crawl it at points. But... Here's what I realized as I was running this race. Okay, you get a maximum of 12 hours to finish. That's all you get. At 12 hours, they lock the door to the stadium. You're not allowed in. And if you think about it, if you run it in like 10 hours, you don't really get your money's worth. You know, it's, they don't give you a discount if you finish early. They don't give you any part of your money back. I figure the best value is to use your whole 12 hours that they give you. So I finished in 11 hours, 57 minutes, and one second. But I finished. So, thank you. Um, this, this, I don't think this is going to be my new thing that I do all the time. Um, but it was, it was a fun experience to do. It was sort of once in a lifetime. Um, and then, of course, from there, I went on to really do the, the meaningful stuff and see the work that we're doing in Muchenda. And as I was there, we had a lot of time kind of for prayer and reflection. And one of the parts of the Bible that God kept bringing me back to is the book of 1 Timothy, specifically this passage in chapter 6. And 1 Timothy is kind of an interesting book. And we've talked about these books before. Timothy was a leader in the early church. These books are written to him by the Apostle Paul, by St. Paul. So this is a book, really a letter, written from one leader to another. Many of the letters in the New Testament, like you know, Colossians or Ephesians, Galatians, they were written to the church at large and they would be read out loud in the service. This one was a little different. It was instructions from one leader to another. At the time that Timothy received this letter, he was in leadership 
in the church at Ephesus, same as the book of Ephesians. So Paul was instructing Timothy what Timothy should teach the Ephesian church. And there's kind of a couple of themes that come out of this book that were really resonating with me, especially while I was over there in Africa. The first is this. Paul keeps telling Timothy that what a church believes should shape how it lives. That there really shouldn't be a divide between our faith and our actions. A faith is both belief and purpose and action is all held together. It is one. The second major theme is that the church should be known for integrity and service to the poor out of our love for Jesus. The love of Christ that is in the church allows the church to then to go out and serve the world on his behalf, especially in the areas of, of poverty and injustice. And so that was kind of on my mind, and especially this section here, starting in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I'm sort of drawn to this passage because very quickly Paul lays out like a, a value system of four quick points that he's cautioning us against. First, he says, be careful those who are rich in this present world. He doesn't yet criticize them. He just points them out as the set of people that we're going to be working on. He says, those who are rich in this present world. Now, I don't know if you would consider yourself to be rich or not. I know that at church in our area that lives where we do, there's actually quite a variety here in this room of income, and I know that. On a global scale, though, there's actually not much variety between us at all. We are all at the very, very top of the income in the world. You know, if you have power to your home, and if you have hot and cold water inside your house, you're ahead of most people in world. Hard to believe, but true. So rich in this present age is going to include all of us. He says, what do they need to be careful about? Well, they need to be careful. They sometimes, verse 17, they can be arrogant. And I've experienced that at times. You've probably seen it in other people that you know. Sometimes that wealth that surrounds us can cause an arrogance, an attitude that we need to be careful of. Sometimes then we go as far as to put our hope in wealth, the third part of this value system that we're being cautioned against. That now we put our hope in wealth. But number four, wealth is uncertain. So it's, it's a transition that goes from rich in this present world to really just leading towards a very unshaky, uncertain foundation. But what's beautiful is Paul immediately answers all four of those in those same two verses to make sure that we see this picture of the faith. He says that was one set of values, but we're going to reverse all those values. Don't be rich in this present world. He says, build up treasure in the coming age, not perspective of now, but eternal investment for later. He says, don't be arrogant, but do good. Interestingly, the remedy for an, an, a heart issue, an attitude issue, is an action. Don't be arrogant, but do good. You would expect him to say, don't be arrogant, be humble. He says, no, don't be arrogant. He says, do good. And your hope, he talks about, you know, your hope was in wealth. Instead, your hope should be in God. Your wealth is uncertain, number four. But you can lay up treasure on a firm foundation. 
So we have a total reversal of these values that came from uncertainty to certainty, from insignificance to significance. And how do they become reversed? That is the difference that Jesus makes. That's the power of the gospel at work in our hearts, that once we have a saving knowledge of Christ, once our hearts begin to be changed and growing in him, then we can reverse these values, actually correct them, and begin to make true, purposeful, eternal investment. And that's what I'm excited to share with you, some of the eternal investment that we've been making together into this area of Muchenda, Malawi. Muchenda is a very interesting place. It's about, depending on where you need to go, 30 to 45 minutes from the nearest paved road. Um, and by the way, the paved roads are not all that fancy to begin with. I'm going to try not to complain about the Belt Parkway anymore now that I've been on the roads of Malawi because they have serious, serious pothole issues. So you would go and get in these land cruisers, and you would get beat on on these dirt roads for 30 or 45 minutes. It feels great for the runners, let me tell you. You go on these roads, you're the only cars moving, no one else. Every now and then there's a motorcycle, but you're the only cars, there's no other cars in the area. You get there, you finally get out to this little area. You've been passing all these little tiny houses that are scattered in villages. Muchenda is an area I would consider to be the size of like Huntington, with just all these little dotted Villages and a village may only be five or ten houses. People who just kind of live near each other. They sometimes are families, sometimes they're not. And all the buildings are made of brick because they actually can make their own brick. They pull it right out of the mud in the, in the rainy season. They have kilns all over the place to make their own bricks. There's all these little humble huts. A decent house has a metal roof. A lot of them do not. They have you know some sort of branches over the top. Well, everywhere that we would go in Malawi, we would be greeted with a party. There would be singing, dancing. They were very excited. This is the first place we went. You can see in the back there, there's a very nice building with glass windows, brick, metal roof. Inside, it had a concrete floor, one of the nicest buildings around. This is a brand new building built in the past three years, put there by World Vision. And they greeted us as sponsors. They were very excited, and at first I thought, oh, you know, this is probably what they do whenever someone comes to visit, and that's what we found out. We were the first sponsors to ever visit. This wasn't some sort of program that they were used to putting on for the visitors. This was just a real party for guests that had come to see them. It was very cool. It was very touching. Uh, there were definitely some teenage guys in the community excited to take a picture with a white guy. So I was... A, <laughs> A little bit famous. I didn't mind it. I'm like, sure, whatever you need, you know. So that was super fun. So we went inside this really nice building. Um, there's two major, major needs in our area. First is water. Second, education. So this is a new preschool program that has been started by the staff there in World Vision, trained up local teachers, and now totally run by the teachers there of the area. See, in our area, once they start to solve water, which is not solved, but they're making progress, and we're going to talk about that, one of the biggest areas in Muchinda of, of concern is illiteracy. Most of the children don't ever learn to read, even if they went to school. 
So if they didn't learn to read, they never really get out of the cycle of poverty and they stay in their huts and in their villages and there's no place for them to go. So this is a big project of what we are working on together there. So the first way they're going after it is preschool. There never had been preschool before. So we were there. They were singing the alphabet song. They were learning which animals match which letters. I mean, just like the preschool that you went to or your children went to, this is what they're doing and it's cutting edge. They've never done this before. And they're starting to learn their letters, starting to learn their words. Hopefully then, giving them a head start. They have, World Vision is amazingly detailed with their data, and they could show us how the kids who had gone through the, the preschool program, their reading results were way ahead of the schools that hadn't gone. So it was a really, really effective program in this really nice building that had been built just for programs like this. Amazing little preschool. From there, we went to another party, but this party was bigger. This party was massive. It was hundreds of people. Children, adults, the guy with the orange hair, he's with us, obviously. And uh, you see, there's a pretty nice building there with a metal roof. There was a whole party happening in this larger village. Tons of kids. There was singing, there was dancing. And, and the reason why there were hundreds of people there is these are the sponsored kids. The community basically because of the way the geography is, it's kind of in two halves. So we had all of the kids from one half together, both those who were sponsored and some of the ones who were not yet sponsored. They were all there together. Then what they did, we had nine of us together in that moment to meet sponsor kids. They had them step out of the crowd like rock stars, come forward, all their peers were amazed, and they would have a cool sign like this, that is my sponsored child, Wilson, handsome guy. That's his family. That's his dad, Leonard, in the middle. That's some of his siblings. There are more. I gave him some balloons, and you can tell nobody knows what a balloon is. So I blew one up, and soon, of course, you have to give one to everyone. <laughs> now, it was very sweet. I was trying to show them, hey, now that you have a balloon, we can throw it up in the air. We can chase it. We can play volleyball. They wouldn't do it. They just stood there with their balloon. And I thought, of course, this wasn't like some great plan that I thought up in advance. When Anya and I and my boys, we prepared some gifts for our sponsored child, we threw in a couple packs of balloons because everyone loves balloons. Well, they had never seen this before. And so that's when I thought, hmm, I know what comes next with balloons, and they don't. So sure enough, a few minutes later, a little boy came up to me with a piece of his balloon. And we couldn't talk. There were no translators there. So I don't know if he was sorry or if he wanted another one. So I tried to explain to him that unfortunately, everyone's hopes would be destroyed by the end of the day because all the balloons would be dead. But anyway, they had a lot of fun with these balloons. We also had um, a, a, um, one guy on the, on the trip, his business donated um, like 50 soccer balls. So we took 15. So we were just pulling out soccer balls, um, which, you know, it's, it's so hard to, to process some of these things. Because honestly, for five days, we had lugged around a bag of soccer balls and it was super annoying. You're like, why do we have a bag of soccer balls? We have to inflate these things. There's no inflators. Like, who thought this was a good idea? Every soccer ball is like a party. They were super pumped to have a soccer ball for the town. Like, it's hard to, it's hard to process sometimes. There was so much joy and excitement there. Even though they have still pretty much nothing. I mean, it was amazing to see. And this is really when I realized, you know, when you put your hope in God, he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
He's, he's brought it all together. Everything that we need, it comes from him. And I thought of our sponsors and the work that you're doing with these kids. And I, I thought of what St. Teresa of Avila said. She said, Christ has no body on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. And yours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. That's the work that you're doing in the lives of these kids. That's the difference that you are making. I saw the joy in their face. It's, it's unbelievable to go from seeing a, a sponsorship folder to sitting with the boy and his family. But that is the impact that this is having. So I didn't know this, but apparently it's tradition that when you meet a sponsored child, if possible, they will give you a gift. So I wanted to show you my gift that I got. It's very cool. They gave me probably one of their coolest things they had. This is a handmade toy. It's a butterfly. You can see these like three different types of fabric. They put this metal together. They taped it. And it's very ingenious. When the wheels turn, the wings flap. So it's super smart, super cool. They said, you know, here's a toy for your children to play with. My kids are never going to touch this, I can tell you that. <laughs> I just, I really did get one of the best gifts on the trip. I was super pumped. I brought an extra bag. Uh, you know, I think this butterfly cost me about 120 bucks in baggage fees, uh, but I don't care. It's very cool. Different people on the trip got different gifts, though. Um, the most popular gift in our group was a chicken. We had five people who got a chicken. Not a chicken in a cage. No, no, no. Just here is your chicken. And it was very sweet. Someone else also got a rabbit. Just the same. Here is your rabbit. Like, wow. So, you know, they were very touched because that's a generous gift because, of course, especially a chicken, I mean, you're, you're talking about real food for the family. And they chose to give this gift to their sponsor family. And so all, of, all the people in our group were very touched. They also didn't quite know what to do. So I loved it because I had my gift and my gift was amazing. So I had to sort of just, just watch this happen. So the World Vision Malawi staff, they're all Malawian people. They grew up there, so they know the culture inside and out. They also, they're, they're all college educated. They're smart, um, very good English. They all sound British, so they sound and are super smart. Um, so his name is Paul. And so they were asking Paul, Paul, uh, I got a chicken. He's like, well, that's a very generous gift. Paul, what do I do with the chicken? It's like, well, the chicken was a gift to you. Yes, I know, Paul. What do I do with the chicken? Well, it's, it's your chicken. So what should we do, Paul? Should we go to another community where they don't know us and give someone a chicken? No, the chicken was yours to have as a gift. So we had kind of a cultural break here. We couldn't quite get over it. And then Paul was the one who figured it out. And he went, oh, not to worry. The hotel will prepare it for you. And that's when we realized... We were going to eat chicken. <laughs> so, and rabbit. Oh, I knew you would say that, but it tasted good, both of them. The rabbit and the chicken. And the rabbit actually looked like a turkey when they were all done with it. So it was very, very sweet. So they, but they, you know, the, the impact that you have on these families, they're giving gifts. There was another family. We had a girl on our trip. Her name was Sarah. Sarah went to meet her sponsored child. Her sponsored child had a new sibling, a new baby boy. The baby boy was six days old. And the family said to Sarah, we are so excited for you to come. We've been waiting for you to come for you to name the baby. They waited. 
So they first told her, and like most of us, she was thinking, I'm not confident the translator just nailed that because that's a big thing. So she said she kind of went away from it, and they went back and said, well, please tell us, what is the name of the baby? So this is baby John, named by Sarah of World Vision. You know, and then don't even try to sponsor John because uh, Sarah's on it from the, from the beginning. So the, the gratitude of what's happening there, it's, it's real because of the impact. I went to a school, a nice school. It's a school that World Vision's been working with for three years, since 2015. The first thing they did was they built a big, nice classroom building that's two rooms. Both of the rooms are a little smaller than this, but not too much, especially if you just take the square. Like maybe if you knocked off this aisle, it's probably this big, a pretty big room. And there's two of them because the school is having a surge in population. We're going to get to that. So they needed more facilities. So World Vision built this building. So we asked them, this is great. Now that you have this room, you know, how many children are in each class? And they answered the question and we said, no, no, I don't think you understand. How many children are in this room for school? And they told us again. And we said, no, 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 not, not. How many have class in here? And that's when we knew that they were saying the right thing. That class has 168 children. Like, wow. We asked how the union rep would ever let that go. They didn't understand. Absolutely. It's like vacation Bible school every day. I mean, this room is packed. And World Vision put in desks and supplies. And it's an amazing facility. They need more, though, because the school is getting overrun with kids. Also, World Vision has just finished at this particular school brand new latrines, which honestly are an outhouse. But it's a huge improvement over what they had because they had nothing. And so health-wise, especially, that was a major, major issue. And outside the latrine is the hand-washing station. You see it? It's a big tank there. These are the students of what's called the WASH Club. WASH is an acronym for Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene. They fill up this tank every day with water so that when you come out of the bathroom, you can wash your hands. WASH Club is also in charge of educating the school to make sure they understand that this is important. Here's one of the new stalls. It's, it's, it's much nicer than a lot of the other ones in the area. They also have a brand new one that is specifically built. It has one of them has a sink inside because it is built for teenage girls so that they can have water to be clean in the bathroom before they even come out. Because before now, teenage girls would not go to school at all, at least one week a month because they didn't want to be embarrassed and they eventually would drop out of school. Now the girls graduate from school, and it changes their life forever. So imagine you're about 12 years old, and you have to quit school. Not anymore. Keep going. This is the star of the show, though, right here, this guy. The school has its own well. This is right on the edge of the property. I know it looks remote. It's not. In fact, in the next guy, we have this guy pumping the well. That's the school. It's just, it's just right there. You can see the school building. So they just walk out to the edge, um, and as you would expect, on this edge of the property is the, is the well, and as far on the other edge of the property, that's the latrine, right? So we're very far apart. And it's a really, really nice well, easy to use. These are the children of the wash club. So they come out there every day. They pump the water into all the buckets, and then they take it everywhere that it needs to go. They fill up the hand-washing station. There's also hand-washing buckets at each classroom with soap. They also are the ones who go through the curriculum called Jesus is the Living Water, where they learn about the woman at the well, how she went down to draw her water, and Jesus met her there and changed her life, and Jesus will also meet you and your living water and change your life. And they learn this at school. 
one of their four subjects at school, they told us what they teach. And, you know, teachers love acronyms in every country, apparently. So they said, yeah, we teach English, math, they teach English, they teach their language, and they teach Bible X. That's the four subjects you learn in school in Malawi. Like, what's Bible X? Bible exploration, obviously. Like, oh, very cool. That's what they learn in school. Then we went to an assembly of the school. Now, there's only two elementary schools in the whole town. This is one of them. So if you have a sponsored kid in Muchinda, there's a 50% chance they are in this picture. This was a giant assembly. I would, I would say five or 600 kids um, sitting perfectly quiet. You can just speak. They can hear you. Very respectful. Very smart kids. We had a special speech from this guy. He was on point. He talked all about some of their different projects and stuff they, they do, and he wrote a very uh, creative presentation. He wrote the whole thing as though he was a radio announcer giving the news. Um, I don't think he's probably ever seen a TV announcer, but it was that same kind of feel, and he did an awesome, awesome job. And I could tell you so much more. The Wash Club, they showed us their skits that they do. They do skits for the school periodically that have the lesson, like how you should wash your hands and how long it should take and why you should use soap and why you should not dry your hands on your pants because your pants are dirty. And that's also why they don't put towels in their bathroom, because what's the most sanitary way to dry your hands? Air dry. You didn't know that, did you? See, I learned it at school. So they know. They do these skits for the school, and you start at a young age. It's one of the highest privileges in the school to be in the wash club. You know, it's like student council. Water, sanitation, and hygiene. That's wash. We went to another well nearby. They wanted to show us a cool technology. Uh, the well at school is like a 50-meter well. So that's kind of a normal well. This one here was pushing 100 meters, but because of this cool pump handle, like rotating system, even a kid can pull water up more than 300 feet out of the ground. And so the town was talking to us right here at this point. The, the two wells I just showed you were a short drive apart. They would obviously walk it. Um, those two wells have changed that community because there's a well near the house and there's a well at the school with clean water which means the kids go to school every day. Because it used to be, if you were sick to your stomach from the water, no kid goes to school when they're sick to their stomach in any country because you don't want to be embarrassed in front of your friends. So you stay home until you eventually don't go anymore. Now every kid goes to school because there's always water. These are 12-month wells, both of them. There's always water at home. There's always water at school. It's changing their community. Now the school's overrun with kids. Great, we'll keep working on that because they're all going for the first time. It's tremendous. From there, we did a sobering thing. We took a walk. This particular walk wasn't six kilometers. We walked about 10 minutes, but straight out of town. We walked through some mud that they were doing brick making, and we went to the old water source where they used to get their water in 2015. It's just a muddy hole. This next one, this is the actual spring, they call it. So that's charitable to call it a spring. And not only was it nasty water, which it still is. I mean, they asked us, they, they were half serious, like, does anyone want to drink the old water? Yeah, no. Um, also, because it was out of town, no one could go there at night because they just didn't feel comfortable because there was like a hill kind of right here and like who knows what lives in the hill. It's amazing to see the way that this is changing lives. You know, to have just water that's not disgusting, that's always available. And I could tell you so many more stories. We saw so many other things. Uh, there was also an after-school reading club for teens 
who are still working on their reading. We went there. They were reading stories written by local people in the town of the history of their people and the history of their famous residents. So not only are they reading, but they're learning more about their town. We saw another school building that was still being built, also completely built by local contractors with local materials. So you're investing into businesses and education at the same time. We saw a savings club where they bring together the women of the community, teach them how first to save money. There's a required contribution every week to put into the club. Then, as they put into the savings club, they have to buy shares into the corporation, which means they have to learn what that means. Then once the corporation has assets, they make loans to each other and to small businesses, so they have to calculate and receive interest. And within a few years, these ladies are financial wizards. Very, very cool stuff. It's, and this is all stuff that we're doing. We saw irrigation projects where they took what previously was a decent spring that the town would use, and suddenly they would irrigate the countryside. They had pipes, they had pumps, all gravity-fed, and then a couple of, uh, there was the next one that had an electric pump. This one's gravity-fed, and they could feed, and it was very cool what they did. They, ha they had a tank that was bottom-fed, but the tank was tall, and that's how you can move the gravity-fed system up a hill. Super smart stuff. And they would flood the countryside. They'd grow uh, tomatoes and onions and uh, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. We saw one solar-powered electric system that took, it was in the mountains where it was very rocky and dry. They put a super deep well. It was highly productive. They pump it to the top of the mountain and then they feed taps in 12 different communities. So they have running tap. Now that one's for the whole town but they had nothing before. Now the kids turn the tap, fill up their bucket. I mean, it's amazing stuff, the impact that's happening there. But there's still a lot to be done. And so really, I wanted to tell you only two things today. First, I just wanted to, to say thank you um, from myself and from all the kids that I met. Those of you who are in this, the impact that you're having is incredible. You really are changing lives. You know, they, they completely understand that you love them through the love of Jesus and that you are investing in their lives at your own expense so that their lives can be improved. So thank you for what you're doing. You're having incredible impact. There's also more work to be done. No one has electricity to the house. No one has water to the house. There's not a flush toilet in our entire community. Power lines run through our community, right overhead. The guides, cell phones work. I'm texting my wife from a, you know, a dirt floor. But not a single person in the town has a cell phone. So I asked them, why don't they at least get an electric light? They said, they, they can't pay the bill. They don't have the money. So there's a lot of work to be done. It just... I was thinking of this quote from Richard Stearns. He said, what if each of us decided with renewed commitment to truly embrace the good news, the whole gospel, and demonstrate it through our lives, not even in big ways, but in small ones? What if we each said to God, use me, I want to change the world. This is just such an incredible opportunity and moment that we have at this point in human history to continue pushing these types of projects forward. And so there's just a, a couple of things you can think about. You know, several people have asked me yesterday and in both of the services this morning, is it too late to sponsor a child in Machenda? Absolutely not. It is not too late. Um, I have folders right here in the front row. You can connect with this at any time. You're not left out. You can jump right on board. You can be a part of what God is doing. If you think I sponsored one child and now I want 107, I can do that too. I mean, there's 
God is with you in this. I also want you to know all of my runners, this is why we run. We run for clean water projects in Africa. So today we're excited to announce we're kicking off our fall race, which is a half marathon in Queens. It's a very convenient location. It's close by. I'd love to get you signed up. Derek is here in his World Vision Orange looking sharp. We're going to do right up here in the front afterwards an information session about how you can run with us in the half marathon and raise, you know, raise money for these clean water projects. And so you, thank you for what you're doing, but let's continue to think about how we can go deeper and see God do even more in this. So I'm going to ask Brian and Krista to come up, and I want to pray over us as they come that, that God would just do his work in our hearts. So would you stand with me and we'll pray. God, thank you that you are at work in this world. It, it even goes beyond what we're able to understand that you're at work here uh, in Long Island and you're at work on the other side of the world in Muchenda, Malawi, but you are working. God, we also thank you that you work in us and through us and we're humbled to know that we are part of what you're doing in the world. Would you equip us and guide us for how we can fully follow you in this? And thank you for this time, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.